0: It was just over a week ago, Pastor David, uh, one of the pastors on our staff, was in a really tough spot. His wife, Paula, who's who's been caring for who's been in the hospital now, going on 160-plus days, was doing well enough that it was time for her to be dismissed, but there was no place for her to go. Uh, There's still some serious complications, and so there is needed specific care. we didn't know how God was going to provide. So we were praying, and, and the next morning David was reading God's Word, and the Lord spoke to him. God gave him Deuteronomy 3.22. It says, You shall not fear them, for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. And he took that as a promise. He took that as a sense of God saying to him, I know what I'm doing. And he said, Lord, I need you to fight for Paul. I need you to provide for him. I'm trusting you for this, and I'm going to release this. I'm going to trust you in this. About 10 minutes later, a friend of his called from out of town and said, you're heavy on my heart. I want you know I'm praying for you, and this morning I was reading scripture, and I came across Deuteronomy 3.22, and I am praying this for you. He went on to the hospital, was caring for his wife. Someone came in, and David told him the story. He said, you know, I think I know what we need to do. Made a couple of calls within a matter of hours. Paula was placed in a facility. She's there now where she's being loved, where she's being cared for, and where she's being strengthened. God provided, amen? God is good. But notice the flow. David was praying. He looked to the Word, and then he prayed the Word and trusted God. Here's what I know today as as I'm preaching to you, as I'm talking to you about God's Word. This message comes to you in a particular context. Many of you are facing challenges. Just a quick show of hands. How many of you today are are facing a particularly uh, important challenge in your life, or you know of a very serious need in your life that you're praying for? It's a lot of you. So I want to pray. Let's pray together. Lord, I want to pray Deuteronomy 3.22 for every person who put up their hand, and that you would enable them to trust that you are providing for them. Lord, I pray that you'll hear from them right now. If you would, just right there in your seat, pray to God. Ask for God's help. Ask for God to provide Lord, we are talking about your divine purpose, and we trust you in this, and I pray for every need that is being presented to you right now, that you would give a sense of confirmation to every person that that you have heard them as they are coming to you, Father, in the name of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit, and now would you teach us from your word and, and And what we we don't have, give us. And what we are not, make us. And what we don't understand, reveal it to us. In Jesus' name, amen. God has a divine purpose for everything. We know that God knows our story. Psalm 139, verse 16. We know that God has prepared in advance what he's called us to do. And in this message today, as we're looking at God's Word, we're going to discover God's divine purpose for for God's will and our good works that he's called us to do. Uh, Both of these are a part of of God's overall work in the world. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and turn with me to the book of Colossians. We're in Colossians chapter 1. And uh, Leighton's going to come and he's going to read for us verses 9 and 10. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Again, we're in Colossians chapter 1. And. Um, We're in verses 9 and 10. Layton is reading this in the NIV version, which is an inerrant, infallible version of God's Word. So Layton, go ahead and read that for us, brother. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. The Word of God, oh, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. Amen? Amen. If you would be seated. Thank you, Leighton. Again, this was written by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He was in jail in Rome. Epaphras was on a mission trip from the church at Colossae. Epaphras had come to saving faith at some point when Paul was preaching in Ephesus. He then went 150 miles back to his hometown of Colossae, where he shared who Jesus was and is, and many were saved and baptized, and a church formed. Paul, during that time, found his way to Jerusalem, uh, where he was now under arrest. Epaphras was there with him explaining what was going on with the church back at Colossae, and, uh, and inspired by the Spirit of God, Paul wrote Scripture. He wrote this portion of the Bible. He wrote this uh, for many reasons, one of which was to contend with lies that were being told to God's people there at Colossae. It's the same lies that are told to almost every generation of Christians that live on this planet. And how the lie typically goes is people say, Jesus is good, but not good enough. You need Jesus, yes, but you also need special teaching, institutional guidance. You need to be dedicated to more than just Jesus. You need to have these other special things. And and aren't you so glad we're here to give you this special instruction and and, and all these other lies that go along with what they were saying. The Apostle Paul was writing to explain the sufficiency of Christ, the strength of Christ, the exclusivity of Christ. Our world today is telling us the same lie. Hey, it's fine to have Jesus, but keep him to yourself. And as far as Jesus, he's just one of many other religious options that we can choose from. And that's not true. It's a lie. Jesus Christ is the only Savior of the world. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ alone can save. And I know what our world is saying. They're saying, oh, no, no, he's just a good moral teacher. or he's just, he's just another way. He's not another option. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus had exclusive claims about himself. The Bible makes exclusive claims of Jesus Christ. We need to heed the words of C.S. Lewis who wrote Mere Christianity years ago and, and the warning still stands today. I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. It's talking about Jesus. A lot of people say foolishly, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher but I don't accept his claim to be God. Where you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Jesus Christ is either a liar or a lunatic or the Lord God Almighty. And I want to tell you, he is the Lord God. He has come to save us. He is our only hope. He is the means by which our sins can be forgiven and we can have new life and we can be with God forever and thereby we can pursue and recover God's design and understand God's will and do the good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. It only happens if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We know that the world is broken. We know the world is not as it should be. We, we know that, that Christ has come. And what we must do is we must repent and believe. We have to repent, turn away from sin and brokenness. We must pursue a new way of life only in the gospel, only in Jesus Christ, so we can pursue and recover God's design. Those who recover and pursue God's design experience God's divine purpose. And our text, our text reveals what happens in order to experience God's divine purpose. There's two things I want you to take note of. There's many words I want to point out to you today. And so let's get started. Understand we experience God's divine purpose when we first of all know God's will. you got to know God's will. So Paul writes, and so... And, and where does that come from? Whenever you see something like that, therefore, and so, you have to know that he is now linking what has just been said. Uh, and what he's saying, based on what he'd heard from papyrus about the fact that they had love and faith that was built on the foundation of their hope in heaven, which we see in verses 3 through 5 we talked about two weeks ago, and the fact that they were uh, increasing in, in fruitfulness of the gospel uh, as we heard about uh, in verses 6 through 8. Paul says, given those realities, that you have faith and love based upon the hope of heaven, that you are producing the fruit that comes with belief in Jesus Christ and the gospel. Paul says, from that day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Now look what he's praying for. Look what he had, that he specifically was pointing to. Paul prayed that these people, look, would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, this word, to be filled, it has two very important meanings that work together. The the first understanding, the first sense of this word, it carries the idea of being fully equipped. It was used to describe a ship that was about to go on a long voyage. And, And what Paul is saying here is that the believer has in Christ all that he or she needs for the voyage that is ahead. I always find it amusing when our family is about to go on a trip, because my wife and I, we go into a whole nother level of intensity. Getting the medicine, getting the luggage, getting the stuff. You know, there's just this kind of, this very focused, passionate, let's get this right so that we get everything that we need and get it stowed so that we can get going. And it's fun to watch the intensity. The children are scared and I like it that way. And they're just doing what they're told, right? And, and, and we're getting with it. And so we get everything packed and we get in the car. And not every time, but a lot of the times we're driving. And, and the moment we're beginning to relax. And my wife looks at me and she says, did we get Asher? Is Asher here? And I look in the mirror and he's just smiling. We're good. Let's go. So when Paul says to be filled, what he's saying is get Get everything, you're gonna be, I'm praying that they will be fully equipped. They will have everything that they need. Now, how can we know that God knows what we need? Well, because he already has written our story. Again, this mystery of Psalm 139, verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God already knows what your tomorrow holds. He already knows your whole life. The story is written. His story and your story, and in Christ, it comes together. And you can know He has prepared you. He has filled you. He has given you what you need for the journey. And whatever it is that's coming, He's got a great work for you to do. And again, Ephesians 2.10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Whatever you're going to go through, not only has God given you what you need, but he's preparing you to do the good that he's called you to do according to his word. To be filled then is to have all that you need. And then to have all you need is to be controlled by all that you have. So there's two senses of this word, to be filled. One is to, to be fully equipped. And the other one is to be controlled by so whatever we have in us, that controls us. So when we are filled with anger, we are controlled by anger. We are, when we are filled with the Spirit, as Paul talks about in Ephesians 5, 18, it means that we are controlled by the Spirit. Have you ever had something happen to you and you do something and then you realize, I just can't, I can't believe I just did that? Because you, you came under the control of something A few months ago, we were at Franklin Simpson and our son Asher was playing basketball. And it was right before halftime. I was sitting on the front row with my father-in-law, very relaxed, having a good time watching the game. And uh, time was running out. And so we needed to get the ball in. And so it was a half court uh, throw in from the side. We're sitting there. There's a little space there. And they're about to to throw the ball in. And somebody tackled my son in the middle of the game right there here's me sitting here's the referee and I'm thinking whistle whistle no whistle game continues before I knew it there was something controlling me (laughs) I found myself standing up communicating to the official (laughs) both Correcting and encouraging him, <laughs> and then I realized his ear's right here. I am a big, loud, bald guy, and I tried to sit down quickly, as act, act like nothing happened. So I sat down. They called time out, and they went to the scores table. Meanwhile, I'm just so. What are we gonna do for dinner later? <laughs> nothing to see here, folks. They began to talk and began to point at me. A few minutes later, the game continued, halftime started, and the principal came and sat down next to me. (laughs) He encouraged me not to do that again. So I don't sit on the front row ever, ever, because something might control me to compel me to communicate in a way that is inappropriate for that particular moment. Have you ever had something control you? When you did it, you were like, whoa, what just happened? Paul is praying that God's people will be filled, that they will be fully equipped and what he has filled them with would completely control them. Paul prayed that these people would be filled, that is, completely consumed with Christ and guided by Christ with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and knowledge, to be filled with the knowledge of his will. Now, this word knowledge is the word that is normal for knowledge. Last week, we looked at the word learned, and, and it comes from the word methetes, where we get our word disciple. And last week, when we looked at the text, that word, and you can go back and look at it, it what he was saying there is that a has discipled you. It's not what he's saying this week. When he says knowledge, he uses the word epignosis, and, and this is the usual word for knowledge. And what he's saying is, this is not an inner impression or feeling. This is a deep and thorough knowledge of the will of God that is finally and completely revealed in the Word of God. It is a knowledge of the will of God that comes from a knowledge of the Word of God. My passion is to see God's people Know the Word of God. I am passionate about it because I know without the Word of God, you cannot walk in the way of God and fulfill the will of God. You are walking blind. The Word of God is fundamental to your spiritual health. I've said it this way before. I want to say it to you one more time. To know the will of God, you must know the Word of God and walk in the way of God. There's no other option. If you do not know the word of God, you cannot know the will of God and you will not walk in the way of God. You've got to know God's word. And what you will find is that God's word knows you far better than you know yourself. And that word of God will speak to you and will guide you in truth. God has revealed this word to us. He has given it to us as a gift. And this knowledge that we get of the word, it's an experiential knowledge. It's not theoretical, it's actual. And and it reveals to us his will. Please understand, God is not hiding his will from you. Jesus said that God has already revealed it. Jesus wants you to know God's will. Jesus said this in John 15. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. What is he saying here? If you're my people, I consider you my friends. And, and I, I know what God is doing because he's revealed it to me. And I'm letting you know what God is doing. I'm letting you know God's will. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what, is his, what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that, that I have heard from my Father, I have now made known to you. Jesus is not hiding God's will from you. God's will is found in the Word of God. Here's how you discover God's will. Is you know His Word... And then you pray his word. Here's what I do every day. I begin with prayer when when I get alone with God. And I ask God to speak to me. And then how does God speak to me? He speaks to me every day. I open his word and his word speaks. This morning at 5.15, God's word spoke to me. So that I had to take pen up in hand and pray a significant, measurable, affectionate, repetitive, time-based prayer about our time together this morning. And the Lord has already answered that prayer, and I pray he answers it again. I was able to pray God's Word because I was in God's Word so that I knew God's will. The way you will know God's will is to know his word and to hear from him and to pray to him according to what he has said. Prayer is more than just us talking. It's us listening. And the, the, the word of God reveals to us the general will of God. The word of God, it, it says to all of God's children what God expects us to do. The specific will of God in any given situation will always agree with what he has already said in his word. So to understand God's specific will for your life, you must know his general will by knowing his word. Friends, you must know God's word. You must every day be in God's Word, every day feeding on this truth, every day praying this truth. Paul prayed that that they that we would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And look at this, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. It's not that we would know all things, but by the Spirit of God, we would know what was true, what is right, what is able, and to be able to determine how we can best live in obedience to God. Paul wasn't talking about mysticism here. He wasn't talking about hearing, uh, you know, a a voice or a vision, although God certainly gives visions, God certainly speaks. He was talking about the the regular everyday practice of knowing and understanding God's Word and being in God's way. And when we know God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, we know what to do. You may not know everything that you're going to need to do, but you can know what you need to do in the moment. Now, sometimes you get in a spot and you wonder, okay, what do I do? In that moment, look, listen what James tells us to do. When you don't know what to do, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. Ask God to show you. I can't tell you how many times I've prayed this one. Someone's popped in my office and said, hey, you know, this, that, and this. I think we ought to do this. Thank you. Answer to prayer. Move on. Friends call, situations, circumstances, something that's been right there in front of me, all of a sudden I, 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 I recognize it and know. This is how the Spirit of God works. It's His Word revealing His will. And we don't know. We pray a smart prayer, significant, measurable, affectionate, repetitive time base, and God answers and we say, There. We see it. This is what Paul was praying. Now, to be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, it enables a disciple of Jesus to do God's work. So write it down. We experience God's divine purpose when we do God's work. Paul said, I'm praying all of this for you for you so so that you can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. The goal of the knowledge of his will is to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Friends, Jesus is worthy of our obedience. We will always be tempted with sin, but because of Jesus, we are compelled not to. Remember what Spurgeon said. This is helpful to me. When tempted to sin, reply, I cannot do this great wickedness, for I am Christ. Immortal principles forbid the friend of Christ to sin. I cannot sin because I love Jesus. I cannot sin. He loves me. He's died for me. He's coming back for me. I can't sin. I, I'm compelled not to sin because of who Jesus is. I am compelled to walk in obedience because of who Jesus is. Because he loves me and I want to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And when we do that, we're bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Please understand, to bear fruit in every good work, you have to abide in Christ. You can't be out there on your own. You must abide in Christ. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 15. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We must abide in Christ. You know, I I love to fly. Some people hate to fly. I love to fly. Which presupposes I'm going to be in an airplane. And you know what? Once I get in the air this week, you know what I'm going to do at all costs? Abide in the airplane. You know what I'm not going to do? I'm not gonna get up in the air and say, you know, I think I got this figured out. I mean, we're going pretty good, and leave the airplane. If I do that, for a few minutes, it will look like I'm flying. I'm not, I'm falling. There's a difference. When you're flying, you go to a desired destination. When you're falling, you die. And it's messy. Friends, either you are abiding in Christ or you are falling away from him. There are only those two options. Are you abiding in Christ? You say, how do I know? You are producing the fruit of righteousness. You are living in obedience to God. You are bearing fruit. If not, what am I doing? Well, I'm falling away. And you're going to make and leave a mess. Understand that the the more that we obey, the more we produce fruit, the more we increase in knowledge. See, God does not want us to have a theoretical knowledge. That word epigenosis, it's an experiential knowledge. God wants us to experience him in what we know. He wants us to have a faith that does something. Again, back to James. Look what James says. It's not what I say, it's what James says. It's the word of God. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. What kind of faith do you have? Do you have a faith that is abiding in Christ and producing righteousness? Are you doing what God has commanded in his word or not? Either you're abiding or you're falling. And if you're abiding then you're increasing in knowledge. I I see this a lot with people who get healthy. I see people who are once doing things they shouldn't do, eating things, taking things that they shouldn't take in, and suddenly someone instructs them, don't don't do these things, do these things. Don't sit on the couch for 12 hours, get up and walk. Don't eat just M&Ms. It's okay to have some eat other things that are good for you, eat good things and exercise. And it's amazing what happens when you start doing that. You start feeling better. And you know what? You want to do it more. And you grow in greater knowledge of how to be healthy. And so it is in our spiritual life. The more we obey and abide in Christ, the more he changes our life. And the more he changes our life, the more we understand who he is and what he's doing. And the more we join him in what he has revealed of himself in his word and in his way, the more we desire it and the more we experience change. Again, the word of God says this, Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. You know what the normal Christian life is? The normal Christian life is a life where God is is actively working in every single part and every single day of our life. That every day we hear from the Lord and the Lord hears from us. And what he's doing in us is changing us and he's using us to change the world. We are praying significant, measurable, Affectionate, repetitive, time based prayers according to what we've read in Scripture, and we're seeing God work. And that work inspires our hope, which enables us to live hopeful and be helpful. That's normal. You know what's not normal? It's to talk about knowing and loving Jesus Christ and never obeying Him. You know what's not normal? It's to think that that you're going to heaven when you live like hell. You know what's not normal? is to claim that God is alive in your life, but you're not being changed by him. What is normal is that having been filled, we are moved and compelled and controlled, and we are being changed, and the world is being changed through us. So how are you doing? I want you to take this spiritual survey because I want you to get a sense of how you're doing. But more importantly in this moment right now, I wanna challenge some of you. Some of you are here right now and you are in eternal danger. You're on your own. You are falling. Jesus Christ will save you, but you must ask Him. Some of you are in Christ, you are, but you're not producing much fruit. You're depending more on yourself and that's why you're anxious and that's why you're angry and that's why you're overwhelmed, that's why you don't pray, that's why you're not in the Word. It's not because you don't have enough willpower. Let me just tell you what it is real quick. It's because you trust in yourself more than you trust God. And so you think you got it, but deep in your heart you know you don't. And that's why you're so anxious because it, it, it's, you're, you're counting on you. Friends, get on your knees this morning and say, Lord, I, I trust you. I'm gonna abide in you, I'm gonna obey you, I'm gonna look to you, I'm gonna pray to you, I'm gonna live a normal Christian life from this moment forward. Now some of you have needs, you raised your hands and you said there's something going on in my life or in the life of someone I care about. I wanna challenge you today to get on your knees and pray a significant, measurable, time-based prayer. Say, Lord God, I just heard the word that you are with me, that you're at work, and I want to know, is this your will? I'm asking for it. And ask God to do a miracle. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, I'm so grateful that our faith is not theory. It's real. It's, 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 you're alive. You're working in the world. You're changing us. You're changing things as we pray, as we join you. So Lord, I pray for some today who need to come and ask you, to take over their life. They need to enter the airplane. They, they need to quit falling and start living in you. And I pray that many will. God, I pray for some who are not abiding in you. They're not living the normal Christian life. They're not growing. They're, they're, they're not seeing you do things that only you can do. Heal what is broken, restore, strengthen, save. Lord, there are some today they know of needs, and they want to humbly come and ask you to do miracles. God, hear them as they come to you, Father, in the name of the Son and the power of the Spirit. Come and pray.